Okay, so we are in Ephesians chapter number 3. We got down through verse number 6 last time. So we will jump in at verse number 7. So to give a little bit of review, uh, Paul here is talking about that he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles. And we talked about that that meant uh, that he was literally in prison. And he was in prison for preaching the gospel that Jesus Christ had given him. Uh, and he was mainly because he was preaching to the Gentiles. Uh, so that's the reason why that he had been in prison. And what was that? And it talked about the mystery. And that mystery was something that was hidden in other ages, but now it's been revealed unto his apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. And then in verse number 6, he said that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. So what is that mystery? What is that secret that wasn't revealed? Was that uh, through Jesus Christ, salvation would be offered to the entire world and that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs, be a part of the same body with the Jews and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. So therefore, we get into verse number 7, and he says, Wherefore, uh, wherefore meaning because of these things, because that he is preaching to the Gentiles, that they are fellow heirs, and uh, they're partakers of the promise uh, in through Christ, that wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So what Paul is saying is that he was under the realization that it was all revealed to him according to the grace of God, that it wasn't his understanding, it wasn't his opinion, it wasn't something he had been uh, taught by man, it wasn't part of the, the, the Jewish law or the doctrines of uh, uh, the Jewish religion, that it was from God himself. It was given unto him by the power of God. If you'll remember, after Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was blind. Uh, Ananias came and spoke to him, and he was able to see. And then after that, uh, Paul said that he went for three years and fellowshiped just with Christ. And so he spent three years under the tutelage of Jesus Christ and that's when his knowledge because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and that's when his knowledge of the law and of the prophecies uh, of God's word uh, Jesus was able to help him see how those prophecies pointed to him and called him into the ministry to bring the gospel uh, not only to the, to the Gentiles but also to the Jews because the Jewish people needed to accept Christ as Savior as well. Uh, but his, uh, the main point of his gospel was that Jews and Gentiles are no longer separated. Now we're together in one body. And then verse number 8 he says, Unto me uh, who am less than the least of all saints is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, you will find several times in Paul's writing where he says something like this, where he said that 
unto me that I am less than the least of all the saints. He didn't even say that I'm the least of all the saints. He says I'm less than the least. You find the least saint out there and Paul said I'm less than they are. Um, now some people may look at that and may think that that's some type of false humility on Paul's part. That Paul was just you know, trying to be humble. Uh, you know, There's times that you'll meet people and they will tell you how humble they are. <laughs> well, if you have to tell people you're humble, you may not be quite as humble. Uh, but what Paul was saying here is that he understood that he was less than all the, th all the saints. And he really believed this. He really believed that he was the least among all Christians. Now, why would a man as intelligent, as educated, called specifically by Christ himself had all these mysteries and hidden things revealed unto him and he was given charge to preach the gospel unto the whole world, to the Jews and to the Gentiles to bring everything under this great umbrella of grace. Why would God call the least? What, 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 how would Paul figure that he was the least? Well, here's why. And this, it's, it's important to understand the history behind the Apostle Paul and that helps explain why he was so fervent and uncompromising in his ministry and in the gospel that he preached. If we look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So Paul said, I am the worst sinner. I'm the chief sinner. So did Paul come from a background? Was he a murderer? Did he, you know, did he kill children? Was, you know, did he spend time in prison? What, what was Paul's uh, sins that he committed where he said, I am chief of all the sinners? And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles. That, and am not meet to be called an apostle. In other words, not even, um, he said, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Here's where he reveals why this load and this burden was on him so heavy. He said, because I persecuted the church of God. That's why. So we have to understand every single day, in Paul's life, every single thing he wrote, every single person that he spoke to, every single time, what was on his mind? What was on his mind was the lives of the Christians that he took. And when I say, was he a murderer? Did he spend time in prison? He didn't spend time in prison, but he was a murderer. And Paul says that himself. <clears throat> So in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, he says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. So what he did, he made havoc of the church. He, he went from house to house, arresting every Christian he could find. 
men and women. Most of the time in the day, if something happened, they would arrest the man and then that would harm the family because now the wife and the kids had no means of support. But Paul said, oh, no, no, we're taking the women too, which was kind of out of the ordinary at the time uh, to, be put, to be putting women in prison. But not only that, he didn't just, if all he did was have people arrested and they spent a year or two in jail and then they got out, that would be bad, but it was a lot worse than that. As we move on to Acts chapter 9, it said of Saul, he said, Yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. What does the word slaughter mean? It means murder. Like, what do you do when you slaughter pigs or when you slaughter cows? You, you're killing them. So he, he, was, he was given threatenings. He was threatening the disciples of the Lord, and he was killing the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest, and then in verse number 2, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, if he found anybody that claimed to be a Christian, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And what would happen to them once they were there? They would be put to death. So you got to understand... Saul now, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus Christ, whom thou persecutest. That was a big moment in Paul's life because he had been killing people that believed in Jesus. And now here's the God of gods, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, speaking to him and saying, Nope, Paul, you were wrong. I'm real. And you see, Paul, Paul wasn't doing that because he hated religion. Paul was doing it because he was a Jew. And he, he was educated in the law. And he believed, he really believed he was doing the will of God by killing these evil Christians that were believing in a Messiah that wasn't the real Messiah. They were spreading a false religion. They were destroying uh, the doctrines of Almighty God. That's what he truly believed until he met Jesus. And that's when he came to realize all those people that I'd been putting to death, I was in the wrong the whole time. And then Acts, number 20, Acts chapter 22, verse 4 and 5, Paul said, I persecuted this way unto death. Talking about Christians. I persecuted them unto death, binding and delivering them into prisons, both men and women as also the high priest thus bear witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were bound unto Jerusalem, for to be punished. They weren't just going to spend time in jail. They were going to be punished, and they were going to be put to death. So when Paul says, I'm the least among all, he meant it. He said, there, none of these other apostles killed fellow Christians. Paul said, I'm the one that did that. When he says, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle, we have to understand. Here's, here's what most people don't understand. We, we, and listen, you can be a great man or woman of God irregardless of your background. But what I have found in my life is that the people that are 
it seems like the ones that are the most fervent in serving God, the ones that are the most uncompromising, the ones that are seems like the most all in are the ones that came from a very sinful background. They were the drunks. They were the alcoholics. They were the drug addicts. And now they have so much more to be thankful for than the person that grew up in church and that always kind of did the right thing and was taught the right thing. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing saying that you can't be a, a great man or woman of God if you grew up in church, but you see what I'm saying. It's, it's like they feel a greater obligation to do something for God because of all that he did for them. And that's where Paul was. Paul was not going to compromise. It didn't matter. Paul did not care for his life. He, he didn't spend day to day worrying about, am I going to die today? What he spent day to day worrying about was the people that he put to death and trying to repay that debt that could never be repaid. When you take another person's life for the cause of, because they're a believer in Christ, that's a debt that could never be repaid outside of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ himself. So that's, that's where Paul's mindset was. And that's why he was so uncompromising. He was so bold. And he, he, he stood on the principles and the doctrines of the word of God. He actually wrote the word of God. But it was all because of his background and what he came through because he had this huge sense of guilt. So when you're reading Paul's writing, I want you to think about that. When you're reading the things that Paul wrote, put yourself in his situation, in his mindset. This is a man that is writing these things because he literally persecuted the church and persecuted Christians and took them literally to their death. And a lot of people forget this, that when uh, Stephen was stoned, Paul was there. Paul was, Paul was antagonizing the crowd. He held the coats of the ones that stoned Stephen. So think about that. Think about every time Paul took off a coat and held it. What did he think of? Every time Paul had a piece of paper in his hand, what did he think of? The papers that he got from the chief priests that he was going to put men and women in prison and have them killed. So verse number 9, oh, and he also said there at the end of verse number 8 that he should show, uh, preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, this unsearchable riches of Christ, and we've, we've saw that all the way through Ephesians, talking about the uh, marvelous grace, the endless grace, the endless mercy. Why did Paul use phrases like the unsearchable riches of Christ? Because he was a beneficiary of that. He had firsthand knowledge about the saving grace of Jesus Christ because he says, no one has sinned greater than I, and God forgave me. So then verse number 9, he says that this was committed unto him in verse number 8. And then in verse number 9, he says, And to make all men see what the fellowship of the mystery 
which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now, this verse can be a little bit confusing in the sense that where Paul is saying, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, that word fellowship actually doesn't really mean what we would think of in fellowship. We think, you know, after church on a Sunday night, we stand around and talk and we fellowship with, with one another. Um, so that's what we think is, is uh, you know, being in, the, in a room, getting to know people. But really what he's meaning here by fellowship is he's meaning communication or distribution of the gospel. Uh, so when he says that he, th this was given to him to make all men see that uh, or to be communicated of the mystery uh, which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God. So Paul's preaching was, the purpose of his preaching was to communicate the gospel, uh, to communicate that not to just Jews, not to just Gentiles, but he said, uh, make all men see. So then we also think about this mystery which God hid from the beginning of the world and had been hid in God. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about, well, why did God hide this information? Why was it a mystery? And we also talked about how that a mystery is not something that can't be solved. A mystery is just something that's unknown. Uh, once you find out the information, it's no longer a mystery. Um, so why did God hide this uh, from men? It was because it wasn't time. It wasn't time to be revealed. This, this could not be revealed until after Christ had died on the cross. Now that after Christ had died on the cross and paid for, and paid for all the sins of all of humanity, now it was time for that to be uh, revealed. The other thing that's really important in this verse is what Paul said that, it, it, that it, the mystery which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God, which means nobody knew it. It was hid in God. So if you think about it, that means that the angels didn't know. The angels did not know God's plan. They didn't know what God was going to do. Now, God hinted to it in prophecy when he had prophets prophesy, and he hinted to those things. But most of that prophecy, if you go back and read the prophecy that's given in the Old Testament, and then it's, it's kind of vague. It talks about the Messiah. It doesn't say when it's going to happen. It doesn't say how it's going to happen. See, because the Jews... One of the reasons why the Jews rejected Jesus Christ was because the, he was supposed to be born a king, not a carpenter's son in a manger. <laughs> See, the Messiah was supposed to be a royal priesthood. The, the Messiah should have been, uh, uh, you know, one of coming from the uh, tribe of the priests. And it should have been a royal thing. He should have been the, born the son of a king. 
And so that's why, one of the reasons why he was rejected, because the Messiah, that they were looking for the Messiah to come and set up the kingdom here on this earth. But that's not what happened. Jesus Christ came and said, I'm the Messiah. And he lived 33 and a half years and he was hung, you know, the worst death, the, the, the worst punishment that you can be. It was disgraceful to be hung on a cross. And that's not the Messiah. That's, that's not what the Jews had envisioned or what they had in mind. So when you look back at the prophecy, if you put yourself in their shoes, then it wasn't enough information for them to really completely understand it. That's why when Paul was converted, that he was with Christ for three years because Christ was helping him put the puzzle pieces together so that he could understand it, so that he could reveal that mystery and preach uh, to all man. Um, and then the last part of verse number nine, he says, who created all things by Jesus Christ. This is something that a lot of people uh, aren't aware of, uh, but all things were created by Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Jesus was not a bystander while God the Father created the heaven and the earth. He was, it was all created by him. And it, one part of scripture says, for through him and by him was everything made. So Jesus Christ is not just the son of the creator. He is the creator. He is the one that spoke the world into existence. It was him that knelt down and said, let us make man in our image and form man out of the, out of the dirt of the ground uh, because every, all things were created by him and for him. Then in verse number 10, he reveals the intent. So what is the intent? He said, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So let's put these two verses together. In verse number nine, he said, this mystery had been hid in God who created all things by Christ. So it was hid in God. And then, this is where I said even the angels didn't know it, because in verse number 10, what was the intent of hiding it in God that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church or by seeing the church. By, if you think about it, think about the church as a theater, we are actors on a theater and all the principalities and powers are watching. See, we're, that's what he's saying here when he's saying, uh, <clears throat> made known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. So the intent was that they would know by, by watching the church or by seeing the church, uh, God's manifold wisdom. Now that word manifold, it means various or multifaceted. See, God's wisdom is even so great that even the angels don't understand. We don't understand. The angels don't understand. Only God has the understanding uh, because he is God. Now, when we look at that, another question we have to ask is, okay, well, who are the principalities and powers? 
Well, what he's talking about here specifically when he says principalities and powers, he's talking about the angelic host. He's talking about the angels. Now, you would think that sometimes he's talking about the good angels. Sometimes he's talking about the fallen angels. One thing he does say here is that principalities and powers in heavenly places. So when, did, when other times did Paul use the term principalities and powers? And who was he talking about? Well, in Romans chapter number 8, he said, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's saying that the love of Christ is so great that even the angels, even the principalities and the powers. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12, he, Paul said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So when he's saying here in verse number 10, principalities and powers in heavenly places, I am convinced that he's talking about the angels in heaven and all the fallen angels as well. So those angels, I mean, I, when I was reading this and studying this, a lot of times what I do is I try to put myself in that person's place and try to see things from their point of view. And I started thinking about, okay, if the angels didn't know, if the angels didn't know God's plan, what was going through the mind of the angels when Jesus left heaven? What? The Son of God is going to be a human? Is going to be born and grow up and live? And then what was going through the angels' minds when they saw Jesus being rejected and they saw him being abused and they saw him being beaten and they saw him nailed to a cross? They were probably thinking, why is God allowing why is Christ allowing this? Because Jesus said, could I not now call seven legions of angels? He said, I, at, at his very word, the angels were standing at, at, at ready and would have came and would have destroyed all of mankind at the, at the word of Christ himself who was on earth. He still had that authority and that power even in his fleshly body. And I just put myself in the mind of the angels. For 33 and a half years, they were confused. <laughs> they were like, what is going on? And I can, I can just imagine in my mind so many times when they, when they saw the soldiers slap Christ, that they look at the Father, can we go? Say the word. Michael, with his hand on his sword, ready. But he was told, nope, stand down, stand down. 
because it was even hid from them. So now it's made known the manifold wisdom of God. After Christ died, even the angels were impressed. <laughs> even they were like, I never saw this coming. I did not see this in the works. I did not. And think about that. Satan didn't even know <laughs> what was going on. See, a lot of times we think Satan knew it all, that he knew Jesus was going to come, and he was going to die on the cross, he was going to raise the third day, and everything else. Well, that's, that's what Christ said, but even Satan didn't understand God's plan until it happened. See, because Satan has no foreknowledge. Only God has foreknowledge. Satan has past knowledge, but he doesn't have any foreknowledge. He, he can't predict the future or see the future. Only God uh, can see that. But now, all the angels, the fallen angels and the ones in heavenly places, all of them know the manifold or multifaceted wisdom of God. Then in verse number 11, this is a precious verse right here. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So this wisdom and everything that happened, why did it happen? According to his eternal purpose. You see, because you and I, uh, most of the time, what, where is our mind and where is our brain? It's in today. We're worrying about what's going on at work today, what I have to do when I get home. i got to mow the yard. i got to paint the house, all these things. You know, we're worrying about that. And sometimes we worry about what's going to happen next week. And, some, you know, sometimes we plan for retirement. But I don't, I don't sit every day worrying about what's going to happen 20 years from now. I worry about what's happening today and what's happening tomorrow. One of, one of the most depressing times of my life, I'll just share this with you real quickly, is Sunday night about 10 o'clock. 9.30, 10 o'clock, because I look over at my wife and I go, well, it's that time. I'm going to have to pick up my phone and look at my schedule and see what I have to do for work tomorrow, because <laughs> I don't think about work till Sunday night about 9.30, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to think, I gotta think about what I got to do tomorrow and what's on the schedule and, and everything else, because I try to disconnect on the weekends. I don't always do that, but I try to. But that's what we have to understand, that all of this was not just according to his purpose, but it was according to his eternal purpose. Aren't you glad that God made plans for eternity? I am. Listen, I have made plans for retirement. I hope they work out the way I have planned it. And I hope I have enough money to retire one day and not have to work till I'm 80. Uh, if I live to be 80, but God's plans are laid out and they're as good as gold. You can count on it. It's better than money in the bank. And all that verse 11 states, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, what he's saying is it was all done because he wanted to. That's, what, that, that's sometimes what we forget Sometimes we forget 
that Jesus Christ died on the cross because he wanted to. Now, he prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. So he was willing to even give his life because of his love for you and I. And it was all according to his purpose. Everything that happened was according to his purpose. All right, we will stop there and pick up in verse number 12 next week.